Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is the College Football Breakdown. I'm Matt Chatham, your host. Happy to be joined again by Brady Quinn, who is the proud owner, well, at least for alumni of a team that has now snuck into the back end of the top four. How you feeling today, Brady, knowing that you're Irish or in this, uh, I don't know, what do you, do you get a present? What, what happens? You go out and buy something nice? You get absolutely nothing is what you get. All you get to do is <laughs> pat yourself on the back, back and, and try to hope that Notre Dame can win out and that the college football playoff committee will see them favorably at the end of the year because they're not going to have a conference championship to kind of hold up or put on their resume. This is true. And I think now that we see sort of who the – who the committee has gone with and just for the listener to keep it easy and help you jumble this in your head or not jumble this in your head. I'll ramble through what we now learned Tuesday evening uh, are the new rankings and your top four goes as no surprise with Clemson staying on top, Alabama moving up a spot or yeah, moving up a spot with a big win over LSU, Ohio state sitting at three and Notre Dame sliding into that fourth spot. After them, we go Iowa, Baylor, Stanford, Oklahoma state, LSU and Utah. And we'll dive into the meat of the rest of that a little bit down the road. But uh, just the initial four will stick there for now, Brady. Any any surprises to you? Any controversy in that little group? Um, I mean, not really. I think controversy comes into play a little bit for me with Notre Dame, to be honest with you. And it's in part because you've got an Iowa team and a Baylor team who's sitting right behind them undefeated, as well as Oklahoma State, who may be playing the best football of anyone in the Big 12 right now. Um, and, and I guess what bothers me most is, if this was at the end of the year and the final rankings come out and you have, you know, those three teams in Iowa, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, like I said, mentioned, uh, if they're still undefeated, which obviously that's not possible because um, at this point, right. you know, Baylor and Oklahoma State are going to play each other, but Iowa very well could be, you would think that they would get a leg ahead. And even as a former player, I always respected the fact that of, of teams that were able to run the table, teams that were able to um, go undefeated, I think that should outweigh a team that, you know, had a loss. So, if that indeed does become the case, there's an undefeated Big 12, an undefeated Iowa team, uh, and then obviously Clemson, those three should be in uh, if that ends up being the case, not a one-loss team. And then it's going to come down to Notre Dame and Alabama battling to see which one, one loss uh, was closer and more meaningful and, and then as far as the strength of schedule goes. Right. You bring up a, a, a cool probing little question that I kind of like. Uh, and it's something we've been deba- debating for at least through last year when we, we got the first round of these playoff rankings. Is there a different, and I think it was answered by this, it, it seems that there's a different criteria for slotting these guys in the rankings leading up to the final one. And the final one almost has its own separate set of rules because it now includes the championship portion. But I I kind of agree with you, I think, for what I read you hinting on there, that in the event that this was the final, this would be unfair. In the event that this is sort of the horse race pre-slotting thing, I don't have a ton of problem with it. But it, it does bring up this idea that how, if you are one of these committee members, are you sort of changing this calculation in your head because i mean if it, it, it's it would be scary to me a little bit if there are some people on the on the board that that would vote this way also at the end you know irrespective of any championship but you're right sort of these undefe- undefeated teams we're not talking about undefeated teams or outside power fives we're talking about undefeated teams and power fives uh and again I'm, I'm certainly not advocating for iowa being there because i know a lot has to happen from then but in some of those situations baylor i think might even be able to make the bigger case not so much in who they played and you know the best their best games are still ahead of them 
but not only being clean, but being clean huge. And they are playing exceptionally well, so that they would pass on the eye test part. But it is a little, little sneaky weird to see sort of almost what seems like, you know, your November criteria versus your end of season criteria. Yeah, but that's fitting, right? I and mean, we saw this last season um, with, with Ohio State, who lost the game early and was able to fight back through, win the Big Ten, and, and get that uh, last uh, number four spot. And that was in part, I think, because of the Big 12 and that mess they had not being able to determine who is the conference champion between TCU and Baylor. You know, my issue with Baylor, I think what the committee's basically saying to Baylor is get a non-conference schedule. Like, actually schedule someone <laughs> who's reputable and who, who could possibly beat you in one of your first three games. Like they, they, I, I saw a stat earlier today. I was talking about Baylor's home win record streak. It's like 20 or 22 games. It dates back to 2012. I was looking through their schedules for the past three years. You know, they haven't beaten a ranked opponent yet this season. I know the schedule gets harder as right. we get into the end of uh, November, but they haven't beat a ranked team at home this season. Their best wins, Texas Tech. You go back to last season, I think their biggest win is like Oklahoma, who was a ranked team at home. That's it. Like, they, right. they have not found a way of actually – and it's, it's not necessarily their fault, right, because the Big 12 is what it is. But the non-conference scheduling is their fault. And they've kind of given themselves layups, uh, figuring that if they can just run the Big 12, then they'll end up you know, making it into at, – at one point when they did the schedule, the BCS, now we're talking about the college football playoff. And uh, I, I would like to see them, like every other team in the country – play someone a little bit more difficult on the road to begin the season. I mean, you look at Stanford, he's at number seven, he sits right behind them. They're a one-loss team who went uh, to play Northwestern to open the season, who was a, pr- a pretty solid Big Ten team, and lost. But they're at least being awarded for putting them on their schedule in the first place, as opposed to Baylor, who's got the likes of Lamar, Rice, Louisiana Monroe. I mean, teams who are never going to give them any sort of competition. You know what, Brady, we get, in, we get into this every year, and I'm not saying I really have an answer. I just kind of understand the manipulation that they're thinking in their head because the SEC does this too. They just do it later. So it's almost like the SEC is much better at first impressions. They're, they're better at being front runners. And I don't mean that in the derogatory sense of the word, but there's really, there's oftentimes a, a kind of a headliner game in September, or even sometimes SEC teams will play one another. If not that, then there's, you know, some sort of big headlining early game, but the SEC is also the king of, of having some of those late season dogs. Like, you know, Florida's got FAMU right before they, they sort of close things out. So in part, they're trying to make sure the resume is done early. And then at the end, we are who we are. And let's put a big one on the board. I'm sl- scrolling here to find Alabama's. Well, Alabama, I believe, had a dog early too. Yeah, they, they have, uh, who is it? Middle Tennessee. So it, it's almost like, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. They have Middle Tennessee early. Who they have late? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, uh, Chattanooga. Charleston Southern, excuse me, Charleston Southern. So they, they do it too. They just do it later. And I think it, it, it aids them in that they, they make a better first impression. I think if you look at the, the, the total amount of dogs, they're about the same, actually. It's just that the Big 12, in, in sort of a dumb way, because I think we think of teams based on what they sort of build through the year with, they do them in a little pile right at the beginning. So we almost always have this conversation about they've not played anyone, and they yeah, haven't. And then they pile them up against one another at the end. Matt, but Alabama opened up versus Wisconsin. I mean, at least they have one game in their non-conference schedule where you're saying this is a legit opponent. So so that's that's what I'm trying to make a case of. I I don't care about the backloading of the Big 12. That is is what it is. They actually came out and said, look, we made these schedules 
long in advance. It wasn't like we tried to backload it or we could anticipate three years down the road that, you know, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, and, and Oklahoma were going to be the four top teams in the conference. And wouldn't you think that Texas would be on there too uh, if you were three, four years ago? Maybe not. But, but either way, I, I would just like to see Baylor because they're, the they're the one team in the Big 12 in particular who doesn't play anyone in their non-conference. And you go back to uh, TCU, they had to go up uh, to Minneapolis and, and play a, a tough Minnesota team. They, had, they opened with them last year. Minnesota was they're, – they're still a pretty competitive team, but they're much better last right. year than this year. Um, so it's like even, even their opponents within the Big 12 still at least schedule at least one difficult non-conference opponent, and Baylor is just bucking that trend, saying, no, we're going to run the table, and, and we should make it in based on the fact that we were able to win our conference and go undefeated. I agree with you there that as you look down a lot of these Big 12s, most of them don't have – they don't like to be tested outside their conference. I think that's fair. But I also do think that the SEC isn't averse to putting those same layups on their schedule. They're just smart enough to do them later, if, if that makes any sense. Uh, let me like, sort of bounce here from I think what we learned here uh, in seeing the first round of, of rankings. They, things have sort of kind of started to settle. We now only have six undefeated teams left. Houston is – for whatever reason, you know, let's let's go on a little detour here for a second on Houston. I never, and and you and I have, I think, been on the same page here with these American Conference teams and some of these teams that are the next group of five kind of guys, not in the Power Five. We never really considered them as a, a legitimate threat to any of this. But I was kind of scratching my head as to why the the regard for Houston is so low, uh, especially in light of watching uh, Florida go and sort of scuttle against Vandy. And Houston had played that same Vandy team and beat the pants off them, 35 nothing, 39 nothing, 34 nothing, something like that. And it was the only sort of sameness I could find, and neither team really has played anyone. And I'm not arguing that Houston should somehow be anywhere close to this top four when it's all said and done. But it was weird to me that they kept them so low uh, and actually kept Temple, I think, even higher than them with a loss, albeit to Notre Dame. Uh, it was weird for me to see these guys just yeah, – they're not even going to really make this a national story. They're not going to really tempt it, not even put them around 10 just to get people debating something that will never go down. Well, they'll have an opportunity to jump up this week. They're matched up with Memphis, who's sitting at right. number 21 ahead of them as well as an 8-1 team in the American Conference. So this will be another quality win per se, and I bet that actually skyrockets Houston up a little bit more only because you look at the teams ahead of them. You mentioned Temple uh, with one loss already, UNC with one loss, really in a really weak part of the ACC, uh, and, and UCLA won't be playing anyone. And obviously Navy now uh, sitting there at number 20 uh, after their big win or victory over Memphis, uh, sitting just one spot ahead of them. So I, I would think that with this victory, uh, you'd like to maybe put Houston ahead of at least Memphis, and that jump them up a good four spots, if not Navy and some of these other teams. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, they're a tough team to play. I mean, you, you look at where they rank. Uh, you know, as, as far as the country offensively, they put up a ton of production. Um, they've they've right. got a coach and Tom Herman who may not be around uh, after this season because he's right. uh, going to be so because highly so sought well. after with the job he's done. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been incredible. So um, it, it, there's a, they're a team that I think has an opportunity uh, when you look at the rest of their schedule, right? They got Memphis this week, UConn, they have to go on the road to play them. But then they finish with Navy. So you know, both those teams right. right now are ranked in the top 25, and I think it gives them the opportunity to at least jump up within the top 15, top 12, maybe maybe top 10 if they run the table and win convincingly. 
Well, I guess the thing that, that sort of rubbed me the wrong way is just knowing that usually when you look at teams from conferences like this or, or teams that are sort of outside the purview of, of what we generally consider the powers, they actually scheduled two big conference games. They scheduled against Louisville, who maybe ends up being a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. They're down a little bit this year, but it's still a, a program that, if you, as you mentioned, sort of scheduling years in advance – it's a big program, right? And they go and they beat they go and beat Louisville, and then they schedule an ACC or an SEC. They put Vandy on their schedule, and again, no one's arguing that Vandy is a, a top of SEC team, but it's the only sort of parallel you have to draw to figure out. Okay, Houston would get annihilated by the SEC teams, right? Well, not really. Florida's still in this sort of uh, ranking or race here, uh, and they they played a really close 9-7 game with Vandy, and then Houston just destroys them. So it makes me think, wow, they actually did a few things that, that provide some ability to judge. And it looks like they're still not giving them credit for it, which, which I don't love. I mean, I, again, I'm not arguing for them even as a top 10, but it would be nice to see them down a little bit lower, especially higher than, you know, your Navies and your, your Memphis and Temple and teams like that because they've one and they played two big conference schools okay I'm going to move on here and I'm curious about this because I know you've done a lot in the pack uh I I think as things stand Stanford obviously had the very impressive win against Colorado last week uh but it does look like we're sort of headed towards an area where either Utah or Stanford has to stick with that one loss that they have and then win the conference championship to get through do you see any other sort of scenario based on where they sit now and where they've now been been left in this ranking well, I mean, you'd have to think that UCLA, who sits at the number two spot in the Pac-12 South, has an opportunity. They're currently ranked 19th. Now, we saw okay. Ohio State in the first ranking come all the way back um, to be able to get back within the top four. So I don't necessarily know if, if UCLA can make those drastic jumps because when you look at their schedule, even if they win the Pac-12, um, they don't face that many more tough opponents that lie ahead, uh, considering that USC is not even ranked within the top 25 anymore. So. It might be right. too little too late, and, and you would be talking about a UCLA team that would be a Pac-12 champion with two losses. We talked about it before. I just don't think that stacks up very well to get in the college football playoff. Um, but, but maybe it does in the eyes of the committee. Who really knows? So I think the best chance, honestly, is probably Utah. Um, and, and I actually did their game last week in Washington. You know, not a great offensive performance. Um, Travis Wilson struggled a little bit uh, versus a, a pretty tough uh, Husky defense. Uh, Devontae Booker eventually got going kind of there in the fourth quarter, but really it was the defense. Um, they capitalized off turnovers, I think 21 points in the game off of, um, you know, turnovers and, and plays that resulted in turnover on downs. So it was really a defense that kind of led the way. And I don't necessarily know if they can hang with, for example, a UCLA or even Arizona with, who, who Utah has to play this week. They finished the season with Colorado, which should be easy, but we'll see. We'll see if Utah can, can remain a one one lost team and win the Pac-12, but I think they're really their best hope. Because, like I said, Stanford, uh, they've got Oregon this week, and, and, I, and I would put them on upset alert only because Royce Freeman's really turned the corner uh, for Oregon. They've you know been back and forth between Vernon Adams at quarterback and, and Jeff Lockie, but now it seems like Vernon Adams is starting to figure it out and getting a little bit more comfortable with some of the personnel there in Oregon. They simplified some things for him, and up front, DeForest Buckner has been one of the most disruptive players uh, in the Pac-12 this year, so. I think that game is going to be much more difficult uh, than maybe Stanford would, would like people to believe. And I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon was able to knock off Stanford this week. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. I wasn't even looking at him necessarily in the Stanford game, but just sort of talking as we did early on when we were doing this show uh, back in September and, and kind of wondering in my head if this would be the arc that Oregon would take. You mentioned, obviously, with a ton of turnover, the, a lot of the bodies that go on to the NFL, Marriott obviously being the, the major one, but that don't be surprised that it's not just, a, hey, everyone's talented, we're back, we're at the same level. They'll dip they'll struggle, we'll forget about them, and then they might be one of the more dangerous outs when it gets to the end of the year once these guys have been in the system for a couple months. I, that, that's, I also look at Oregon that same way, that like, okay, you're not going to want to see them in their second or, or last game of the season because now they've had a run. The talent's still high. It's just assimilation, I guess. Yeah. But uh, one yeah, of the things you know, I'm, I'm – go ahead. They've got yeah, a go ton ahead. of talent on the outside, and they just really haven't found a quarterback who could get it to – you know, Addison and some of these other wide receivers carrying on the outside consistently to allow them to really make big plays in space. That's what Oregon's known for. That's what that whole spread, fast-paced spread offense is known for. So um, now that they've got Vernon Adams playing at a little higher level, I think understanding the system better uh, and combine that with some of the pressure taken off the shoulders with Roy Freeman, I think they're a much more dangerous team. And I just think the contrast in styles of offense between Stanford and Oregon would be really fun to watch if you're looking for a game that's maybe not so mainstream that should be fun to watch this uh, this particular weekend. Okay, and we, we touched on some of these other teams that are in the race, uh, clearly. Obviously, Notre Dame sitting at the four. They're, they're there if they went out, uh, most likely. I mean, I don't, I don't see them moving one back, uh, although they screwed with TCU a little bit last year where it looked like they continued to win and didn't move. But Notre Dame's there. They went out, it appears at least, that they, that they, that they control their destiny. Hey, you let think me, it's let me possible? go back to one thing go. real quick, though. Um, I, I don't necessarily it. know that Notre Dame's safe even if they do win out because you look at the spot that they're sitting in. They're at number four. I mean – TCU was in number four last year, and for whatever reason, I got you. even though Baylor was ranked behind, they, they ended up jumping in the last poll, and really they played uh, Baylor, I think, with three weeks to go in the season. So that, that, that should have catapulted Baylor ahead right then and there after that matchup. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know that Notre Dame gets in, especially since that last game falls a week before the conference championships ga- championship right. games that will allow the committee to maybe be influenced by that 13th game factor. Well, no, that's actually a great point. And I was wondering if I was thinking of more in relation to big tall schools having that same issue, but that potentially their winner might be a one loss winner, you know, that they now have at least the rules or they're going to have the one true champion and all that stuff. But say in the event yeah. that Baylor loses one here at some point, but does win the head to head, has the head to head with TCU. And then Baylor say is, is named the champion, but with one loss. How then would they have been viewed as that four spot? I mean, could you could they jump into the four if they're the air quotes champion? We're not talking about any two lost champions getting in because say things get chaotic out in the pack. Uh, but you know, they're they're now one loss and they're in a championship, but they didn't have the championship game. Notre Dame has the one loss. They don't have the possibility of a championship. I look I look at another conference. This, this is this is intriguing to me just because, you know, I'm sort of cheering for chaos here. I think this is well, – we'll get to the point where hopefully there's, a, there's a, a plausible number five and the argument for eight is still strong, but we'll see how it all shakes out. But can you imagine a scenario where a team with an, a clean record, a team that goes through, blows through their conference, and on their side of their division of, say, we'll go the ACC. So say say Clemson blows through. They get straight to the ACC championship game. UNC on the other side, maybe they give one up, but they win their half of the bracket, right? They end up in this ACC championship game, but UNC beats Clemson. 
in an upset in the ACC championship. Now you have a team that's the ACC champion that's probably not the team to move into the four, but you have a one-loss non-champion like Clemson. So do you see a situation like that where, say, a one-loss non-champion who played in that championship game being able to make a more compelling case than a Notre Dame in your or scenario or a Baylor who is the champion with one but without the game to, to game to sort of seal the case? No, I, I think the only way that would be possible would be if, um, you know, LSU wins out, Alabama ends up winning the SEC. I think LSU would be that second team with one loss that would get in, even though they're not a conference champion. I don't think right. there's as much parity in, in, in any other, other conference. Um, so you, you'd have to give the credit to the SEC in that, in that case. Um, and you look at UNC, you know, they're an interesting case because um, the reason why they would jump ahead of Clemson in that scenario you played out is, one, they have the ACC championship, which that's part of right. the criteria the committee initially talked about. Championships won. The next part is then head-to-head play. So clearly they would get in ahead of Clemson due to head-to-head play. Uh, but you look at their strength of schedule. I mean, boy, is it weak. Um, right, and, and they exactly. lost to South Carolina to begin the season. Uh, and, and I'm not so sure. I'm not sold on UNC being able to win out. You know, they play Miami this week, which, look, Miami is, you know, they are what they are. They're a talented team. They haven't been able to put it together. They fired Al Golden. We'll see if they can find a way of knocking off UNC and, and helping to provide maybe a uh, for the Hurricanes going into the offseason. But, you know, at Virginia Tech, at NC State, uh, Jacoby Brissett, we know how dangerous he can be. So, those are two rough road matches to kind of finish the season out with. Um, and then you're talking about an ACC championship game, most likely versus Clemson. I just can't see UNC uh, not dropping a game between now and at least an ACC championship game. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that was kind of part of what I wanted to be the scenario. I, I'd rather not have to get into a case where both are a compelling question. It's more so the almost like the Duke question of a year ago where they're in, they're legitimate, but they've got a loss or two that regardless of with the win, we're not going to slide and pass Florida State, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I'm just curious. Uh, okay, so then I'll flip this over to the Big Ten. So put that kind of same scenario to the Big Ten. Say Iowa stumbles here. And trust me, as a, as a longtime Iowa fan, I know it's a possibility. <laughs> I think people look at Minnesota – they just named Clay's the uh, – the, no, they took off the interim tag. He's, he's the full-term coach now, uh, replacing Jerry Kill, and that's, it's a, that's great news for the program. That can kind of put some juice and take away uncertainty. Uh, Iowa and, and Minnesota are longtime rivals. They play for the Floyd of Rosedale. I know Minnesota's not ranked. I know they haven't had nearly the season they had a year ago. But these are just one of those games that it's, it's, a, it's a rival. It's going to be tough regardless of if this was last year or five years ago. So Iowa could potentially lose that, and no one will be surprised. So I put that as a possibility. <laughs> Obviously, they also play with Nebraska in a few weeks, and I think in a couple weeks. And that's, that's the same thing. It's nearby. It's neighbors. It's, it's close it'll be close regardless of all these other things going on so say in the same scenario where Iowa gives one up right Iowa drops one to Nebraska or maybe Minnesota this week but they advance to the Big Ten championship with a single loss and they beat Ohio State or they beat Michigan State in those kinds of scenarios where you have the championship you only have one loss but you're now not Ohio State, who would also be clean, but but for the one loss in the championship game. That then, I think that is when this starts to get a little more convoluted, where you start having teams that didn't win or that did win their championship, but have the loss and a little less sexy sort of resume. Uh, yeah, and then it, and in particular with an Iowa team, I mean, if they do end up dropping a game on the way out, how that's viewed in the committee's eyes, considering how weak their strength of schedule is. Um, you'd, you'd almost have to start saying, okay, if Iowa ends up being the Big Ten champion, 
with one loss. What are we looking at in the Pac-12? Are we looking at Notre Dame now? Did they win out? Are they 11-1? and one? Um, Because they played a much tougher strength of schedule. And I think if, if right. you're looking at, you know, if, if you're going to grade a team off their loss, right, how close they were, Notre Dame's sure. got the edge over a lot of other teams because Clemson's that team that if they win the ACC, they're undefeated, they're playing for the national championship, maybe as the one seed as, as they sit right now. Um, and, and you'd have to say Notre Dame lost by two points to them on the road. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people would love to see that matchup again at a neutral site um, or essentially a neutral site. It'd be down actually in the Orange Bowl uh, in, in right. Miami. So it'd be curious to see if Notre Dame can perform better than they did back in 2012 when they played Alabama in the national championship game in the same venue. Uh, but, you know, one thing I want to bring up, you know, they finished the season at Lincoln. I mean, Matt, we, we got to talk about this Michigan State, Nebraska. <laughs> we um, got to touch on it. You're right. You're right. You're right. It, it was ridiculous. I mean, first off, you're, you're a defensive guy. So you tell me, is that not the perfect way if you're a defensive back to play a go ball the way that uh, Michigan State defensive back played that route? Perfect. It, they always tell you you have to hold the line. And if you've essentially bodied a guy beyond the boundary, you, you're perfect. The thing that I didn't like is is sort of the language saying forced out. And it, it doesn't say – I've heard a lot of people sort of uh, trying to fuzz the issue and talk about contacted. Contact, like you can contact someone by touching them. You can brush their hair and you've, air quote, <laughs> contacted them. I always read the rule. And, and as I heard the Big Ten officials explain it, forced out means forced by force. You know, you, you haven't assaulted someone by blowing on them. You have to be forced out. And he wasn't forced out, in my view. I mean, if it had been a hit or an extended arm or, or some sort of push, I would have got it a little more. It just felt like body positioning. The receiver, in my view, had every view or every opportunity to stay in bounds and didn't. Ran out of bounds, in my view, on his own. I mean, it's just like it's just like gunners and punt team. When a gunner takes an angle and gets nudged, touched, he wasn't forced out. You know, you can't just go, you know, five yards out of bounds and run down the Gatorade line and then come back in later and make a super play. That's why that rule was created. Now, if you get double teamed and pushed out of bounds, different story. But touched, contacted, now, that, that's not it. And I, I, I felt, wow, this is crazy, just like it sounds like you did. Yeah, the, the other thing that I had an issue with was, you know, the NCAA came out and basically said that that particular play, what's not reviewable is um, the manner in which the defensive back contacted uh, yes. the Nebraska wide receiver, Brandon <laughs> Riley. They basically said that they couldn't, once the flag was thrown, that they couldn't judge the severity of the contact, which makes no right. sense to me. Like, if you're going to have a replay and you're, you're talking about a play that's going to not only change the outcome of the game, Matt, but also is going to change the outcome of, of some of you know some of the odds there out there in Vegas because that actually switched the spread from Michigan State yes. betters winning to over to Nebraska. So that had a huge you know ramification on the whole gambling circuit. But you've got to look at that rule and say how are we still how are we still messing this up with replay? And my issue with it is at this point because unlike NFL, um, there's no centralized system for replay, right? And that may be tough because there's so many conferences and teams. Um, so, but maybe each conference then needs to have a centralized one. But I, I right. have to tell you this, Matt. I like that. What they don't have is they don't have a centralized way of teaching the mechanics of making these calls and reviewing these replays. Each conference kind of has their own ways of teaching and implementing the mechanics of these calls. So you're getting right. a lot of inconsistencies amongst the same rule book because each conference is kind of teaching in a different way and implementing it a different way. 
So they need to try to find, figure out a way of getting everyone on the same page, and the NCAA or maybe just the Power Five conferences need to figure out a way of taking control of that so at least we don't look from you know, one conference to the other and are asking ourselves, was it a catch or was it not a catch? Is it a touchdown? Is it not a touchdown? Because you get you know, conflicting reviews uh, based on each. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's hurting certain teams, in particular Michigan State, who doesn't deserve to have a loss in their column right now, in my opinion. Right. No, I, I totally agree. And it'd be interesting to see how the committee handles that. Say in the event that Michigan State wins out and then they win the win the championship uh, or they don't win out and they're not in the champion or they excuse me, they win out, but don't get to play in the championship game uh, because of well, I, would that be the, would, is that even possible? Because they would have to beat Ohio State. If they beat Ohio State, well, then they, they are going to play. So in the if championship they, game. If they, yeah, if they beat Ohio State there because they beat Michigan and Michigan is the other team in the Big Ten that's still alive in the in the East Division right. because um, they, even though they lost to Michigan State, they still have the opportunity to beat Ohio State. And if they went out, right. um, they would they would technically win the tiebreaker over Michigan State because they beat the team um, that Michigan State would then have lost to. So it, it's a it's a long you know crazy. It's way a, of it is it is interesting though it would be interesting to find out how they they judge that you know if the committee says they got screwed you know and don't even consider it a loss in their head or, or however that might be i i'm actually curious you you brought up this idea of you know different conferences judging things different ways i i obviously played a division two school so they you know i didn't have to deal with this with bowl games but i was always curious if if and I remember as an Iowa fan hearing this a lot where, so say Iowa goes on and plays in the holiday bowl, right? Which was like a real common thing throughout my sort of childhood, either holiday bowl or they'd end up at the Alamo bowl or places where it's far away bowl games and they wouldn't get a big 10 crew. And I would remember, you know, some sort of conversation about, ah, this crew is from the blankety blank conference and you're going to get something entirely different because big 10 style of play is so different. So sort of in this idea you're talking about, like we're mugging in the big 10 might be okay. Big 12, like no one touches anyone. You just run around and go crazy. It does seem like they might be officiated a little different conference to conference. So having, as you mentioned, this, you know, central command, would that even work? Because it's almost like they teach it differently or they, they have a different tolerance level at different places. The Big Ten came out well, and co-signed on this decision. The Big Ten com- referees came out and said they made the right call. I think in part because yeah, they, well, don't, they don't allow that one part to be reviewable. And you're, you're not going to hear them backtrack. I mean, how often do you <laughs> right, hear right, right. Uh, officials anymore backtrack from a call? Um, look, here's what they need to do, and this actually is something they need to do at multiple levels, is they need to make sure the white caps um, you know, the head officials, that those guys are full-time paid employees, paid officials. So during the off-season, they're reviewing. They're, they're making sure that they get down all the intricate uh, details of these calls so that they can actually teach the crew and they can ensure that um, the decisions that they're making are the right ones and what they're looking for are the right ones um, to ensure that, you know, this game is officiated the proper way. Because uh, that, that's been an issue, I think, for me, not only with the NFL for many years, but but also with college football is, is, is employees guys, not only from the, the standpoint of getting a better product um, when you're talking about the, the game of football, but also for player safety. Like if you really cared about player safety, wouldn't you try to make sure the guy who's kind of in charge of, of officiating some of these calls or even at the, at the college football level targeting in particular, wouldn't you want to make sure that that guy's full time. So he's down there making sure that everyone's on the same page with some of those penalties. Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. But then when I look at the NFL, it's clearly a business and they don't even do it. It's like, it's like compelling them to, 
to not have the other job is just such a tough argument. I, I never understood why it went that way. Uh, and the other, using the NFL as that same sort of example, the NFL still has this parts of certain calls that are that are not reviewable. They say that they basically have their sort of side list of things that they deemed judgment calls, and the judgment calls cannot then be reviewable. But it's all judgment. That that always was asinine to me. And I, the one thing I think that the NFL can do is lead. And you see this a lot where the NFL will institute something and a year or two later, it finds its way to college in some shape or form. But because, and I think that's coming, you know, that's been uh, my old coach, coach Belichick has, uh, has pushed for everything reviewable. I think you see maybe one side or the other, do it, see it be success. I'll realize it's not the sky is falling. Oh, you know, they still get a limitation on how many times they do it and everything should be reviewable. And then the other side says, oh, okay, this is now safe. We'll, we'll do it as well. That makes sense. Uh, one last thing, one thought here before we sort of fade away uh, at the end of the show. I wanted you, you brought up the idea of, of best loss, basically. And you, you, I think you made the case for what would be the best one out there with Notre Dame losing to a team that, quite, you know, obviously it's the best. It's, they're sitting at number one right now is Clemson. Amongst another group of other teams that out there that sit out there, uh, who else has that best one loss? I mean, who else sits there that says, you know what? We sit with one, but we've a problem with our one. If you're Stanford, blow, you know, bad early loss to, to, to Northwestern's probably not one of them. Uh, if you're Oklahoma, lost to Texas, that's not going to be one of them. Uh, is there another one-loss team out there where you say, you know what, that might not look so bad when this thing's all said and done? You know, it, it's tough to tell. I actually really like Oklahoma. I love the way they're playing right now. They have a really good matchup this week versus Baylor, and that will give me some sort of indication of, you know, how good Oklahoma really is um, because I watched them. They're the best defense in the, in the Big 12, whatever that means considering right. the offensive production <laughs> this team's put up. Um, right. But but on the flip side, they've got a great backfield and all that. And, and you mentioned how they lost to Texas. Texas is an absolute roller coaster ride. They are a team that can go up to Ames, Iowa, and lose to Iowa State and get pounded, actually shut out by them. And then they, then they can go and absolutely dominate Kansas at home. Uh, or, for that matter, beat Oklahoma. Like, they, they're just so inconsistent at this point. I think it, it's in part because they're such a young team. Um, it's almost hard to evaluate them, but if Texas could win out, maybe it softens, um, you know, maybe it softens that loss and maybe it was early enough where it doesn't hurt Oklahoma if they end up running right. the table and being a one-loss Big 12 champion. Um, you know, I've got to look through the rest, but obviously Alabama, I mean, they lost to Ole Miss, who uh, that's not that bad of a loss when you really look at it uh, in the grand scheme of everything. But um, I would say that's almost comparable to like maybe – a USC, like Utah's a one-loss team who lost to uh, to USC. And you kind of look at that and go, yeah, they, they lost to kind of like the middle of the road, maybe above average um, opponent for that conference. Um, so maybe you don't right. look at that quite as harshly. Um, considering how much parity is in the Pac-12 right now, and in particular the Pac-12 South, the division that Utah has to play in uh, and win in order to get to the Pac-12 championship. So um, those are kind of the teams that stick out to me. I mean, maybe maybe LSU, right? If Alabama, yeah, LSU. That that's the one that jumps out, right? Yeah, yeah, the SEC champion. Then LSU is the one that kind of jumps in that could make a case. But you know, again, no one's going to be able to make a better case than Notre Dame if, if, if you're talking about a team with one loss when they lost to uh, the team that's sitting at number one right now. So if it comes down to a one loss team uh, that's not well, that's not a, a conference champion, you'd have to think Notre Dame's a shoe in if they went out. 
Yeah, that and again, this sounds like homerism because I'm on the phone with the guy that played for the Irish. But I'm sitting here thinking they they have to be thrilled. I mean, again, when they when they made that schedule, uh, there's no way that they would have known that you know Clemson would be in the seat that they're in now. But it they could not have a better one loss if they pick their schedule and pick the loss. It's go ahead and lose to them because it keeps their case alive. Um, looking well, ahead but, to this even, week and even just Temple, oh, sorry, even even all these other even all these other teams like Temple and. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you go go through the look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, they've actually got some decent opponents on it. I mean, again, if Texas wins out, that big win they had at the beginning of the season that would help out <laughs> Notre Dame as well. So, so believe me, they're they're looking for help from from some of these teams that they beat to kind of respond. You know, same thing with Georgia Tech. You know, Georgia Tech is going to beat Florida State, who uh, Notre Dame doesn't play, but you know that, that's a team that maybe all of a sudden they, they just have had a bad season. Who knows? I mean, Pitt. Their two loss came out in the ACC, and they've been pretty decent so far this year. USC is another middle of the road team. You, you talk about UMass before; they've been no pushover either. I mean, Navy's in the top twenty-five. You start looking at Notre Dame's schedule, and you're kind of saying they actually play one of the tougher schedules in the country when you're looking at an overall win-loss record of all their opponents. Well, that's why it's so difficult to figure out how to how to judge them because you know this better than anyone they, they're not in a conference and they're everyone's circled game you know it's almost yeah. not in that's without being a champion or whatever looking uh you know boston college who's not even in this conversation clearly they're not having a very good year but they're going to have notre dame at fenway and every inch of whatever boston college has in them notre dame is going to get on that day uh so notre dame just always has that unique little extra challenge to them because they're Notre Dame, whatever that means. But that's the game that other teams are going to recruit with. We play Notre Dame, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a helpful thing in anyone's pocket. So it's very difficult to quantify something like that and try to, to put sameness to it because no one else really deals with that. You know, most of the other teams yeah. that have that on their thing, it's because they're on their actual schedule. All right, moving on. Yeah. I know you got a roll and uh, we've got uh, basically, I think the biggest game of the week is probably that Oklahoma Baylor game. That's, that's your one, the two top 25 teams, button heads. We'll learn something. Someone's moving up, but amazingly in that situation, neither of the two currently sit in the four, maybe a big win there moves one of them in. All right, Brady, have a great week, man. Take care. Thanks as always. Always fun. Thanks, Matt. See you, buddy. All righty. That's all we have for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. That was the college football breakdown. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from these guys and others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.